You're listening to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. My guest this week is menswear designer Robert Geller. Robert and I discussed his days as an intern at Marc Jacobs, working with Alexander Plokov on their explosive menswear brand Cloak, and how through his own brand, he transformed the image of downtown New York style. I'm sitting here in probably one of the coolest brownstones in Fort Greene. It's it's insane. You have the French looking floors, and I'm losing my mind. This is really cool. But I'm joined here by Mr. Robert Keller. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How cool. are you? So this was a little bit of, of a long time coming. Um, I had a few friends that I talked to over the years, um, and have always talked all about you. I'd never met you before. I know Tommy Tan's a mutual friend of ours. Liam Goslett, guys like that. And when I started doing this podcast. And I was asking a few other people, I was like, oh, who are other people you think I should talk to? A bunch of people were like, Robert Geller, Robert Geller, Robert Geller. So I was like, okay. Um, and I, I was, I'm not really a guy who just cold emails people. And I was like, okay, I'm going to email him. And I remember talking to Liam and he's like, don't worry, totally fine. And I sent you an email and you were like, yeah, yeah, we can do something like that. I was like, oh God. <laughs> I mean, do people often just kind of cold email you or like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not super often, but definitely most of the, most of the things that come along just come out of nowhere right i mean it's just sort of the way that it starts and yeah. then i just i decide whether i feel like it's something that i would want to do or not <laughs> that's, that's good well thanks for doing this so i want to talk uh just a little bit about your your past and how you got to where you were but and you know and then i want to touch on the fact that a big congrats to you you're about to debut the you're in your 10th year yeah, so debuted in 07. This will be yeah. This will be sort of the, the the 10 year anniversary show coming up, which is really exciting. So congrats on that, and for staying a New York designer. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so, um, so I tried to do as much research on you as I could, and I had no idea that you went to RISD at all. Um, and from other stuff that I found, like you are one of the like few designers that you actually studied design. It wasn't like, oh yeah, you know, I fixed cars and, and one day <laughs> one day I just was like, man, this this sweater just sucks. And so I ripped it apart. That's true. There's been a lot of those lately. I feel like um especially in menswear, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people that were doing something unrelated to fashion and then they uh they decided to to give it a shot. Yeah. A lot with success. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, and when we we won't mention any people bad or good or whatever but like it's it's pretty cool that you are like the thorough through designer and at least from what i had found like you didn't originally want to do design right that's true yeah i uh, my dad's a photographer so i i kind of grew up um when i was with him in in the studio and uh i always looked up to him i loved the sort of atmosphere in the studios and all that um uh it was just something that i I really wanted to do, and then when I finished high school, I uh, worked as an assistant photographer uh, in Stuttgart for for a year, and then in Frankfurt for another year, and just really sort of, the first guy was a fashion photographer, the second one was a still life photographer, so mm -hmm. first one was really good for sort of learning what I wanted to do, I wanted to do fashion, right? and the second guy is really good for technique, I mean, still life photography is really where you learn, you learn amazing sort of precision and technique and so then i went to rizzi and i 
Which is Rhode Island School of Design. Yeah, yeah. Rhode Island School of Design. And um, during the uh, the freshman year, um, you spend a lot of time drawing, and 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 you have like you have drawing, you have two dimensional design, you have three dimensional design. You do a bunch of uh, courses that you get to choose from, so it really opens your mind to lots of different things. And uh, I, you know, always had an interest in in fashion design, but I. I just didn't feel like I had the skill set. Right. But after, uh, you know, spending tons of time drawing at RISD and, and just sort of problem solving, I got the confidence to to decide that I wanted to give it a shot, spend the next three years learning something completely new that I had a great interest in, uh, rather than just sort of, you know, keeping going with the photography. And, and I probably could have, you know, sort of sharpen my vision and my, my, my angle, but I decided to do something completely new. Right. Well, what did, how did it go when you, you had this talk with your dad? I mean, is this, I imagine because it's still in the creative world. I mean, because if your father's a photographer, you were more on set to, to follow in your father's footsteps. Was he cool with it? Was to- he like, totally, yeah. totally, yeah. I, you know, my parents, my dad's a photographer. My mom was a journalist and a great sort of art enthusiast. And she just, uh, they both always supported whatever, you know, it was sort of like, you know, if you grew up in a doctor family, a lawyer family, they want you to do that. Uh, my parents really supported me to be creative, but it didn't really matter, uh, what direction I would go into. Uh, never really even thought about what my dad thought about that. He, he just, I think he just really wanted me to go whatever whatever I, I chose. Yeah, kind of just find your dream. Yeah. So you're in the United States at this time, but earlier you had said that you were in like Stuttgart and, and stuff in Germany. When did you come to the U.S.? Mm, for RISD. I mean, I, I grew up in Germany yeah. almost my whole life, except for three years from, from the age of 10 until 13. I lived in L.A. Okay. Uh, with my family, then moved back. And then I stayed in, in Europe until, yeah, the age of 21. That's when I went to, to RISD, and right. I've been here since then. Nice. 19 years. <laughs> true, true New Yorker here. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, four years in Providence, Rhode Island, but besides that, New York. Yeah. It's been long enough to feel like a New Yorker. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so how did you, you get to Mark Jacobs? I mean... Uh, yeah, it was interesting because I, you know, when I started or I switched over to fashion, uh, I was sort of really new to it and, uh, most of the other kids, you know, had, had been, had been sort of gearing up to do fashion design for, you know, some, since they were kids or whatever. Uh, so I had to catch up and I was greatly motivated. I was uh already 21 so a bit older than most of the other kids there and i had seen when i was working as an assistant photographer that what really matters in life is is what you know and what you can bring to the table um whereas like in high school it's about getting good grades and whatever but it's also about sort of like are you popular and and who do you know (laughs) and what you know what you know it's like (laughs) i just realized like that doesn't really matter at all and now I have this opportunity to be at school, one of the best schools in the world, to learn as much as possible to make myself better at something. So yeah. I totally dedicated myself to to learning. And uh, within the three-year program, I really 
applied myself and sort of worked myself towards the top of the class. And then um, during our senior year, between the first and second semester or something, uh, called the winter session at, mm -hmm. at RISD, and we were expected to find an uh, in internship somewhere. Most right. people went to New York, and most people wanted to intern for Mark Jacobs because Mark Jacobs at the time, he was you know, just blowing up at yeah. that time. He was, had the coolest parties. He was just, in New York, the most exciting designer. And uh, so they ended up choosing two people that were allowed to uh, interview there. And um, I was one of the two. And there's a long story about how it came down to like the last second decision but i it's almost uh, like a game show <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah kind of it's weird right i felt a little bit weird about that but i ended up getting the internship and it totally changed my life you know right you know i met my wife there she was she was designer at mark jacobs uh at the time um alexander plokov yeah. uh, my partner at cloak i met him there he was working there at the time richard chai is one of my close friends he was one of the best men at our wedding he was the creative director there at the time. And, right on. And all it was just a really important sort of moment in my life. Um, I mean, I think for me, that's where, like, that's where all the, the press picks up in terms of, because you go to Marc Jacobs, which is, in, in a nutshell, like the hottest, best design place in the world, upon from going from the best design school in the world, and then... You know, you were only there for, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, just like a year and a half or so, right? And yeah. Then you met your your partner at the time uh, to relaunch Cloak, right? Because he had already done this brand before and kind of shelved it for a bit, right? Yeah, with Cloak, he, um, I think he had had it for like two seasons, and then he went to Mark Jacobs um, and had yeah shelved it for a time. Then we talked about we just got along really well. Yeah. You know, we were. Um, I remember really well in a fitting Mark Jacobs saying, well, I'm so glad Alexander's back. He's the best, um, best menswear pattern maker in, uh, in New York. Uh, and <laughs> pretty nice compliment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he was working there as a pattern maker. He's a, he's a, a yeah. great designer, but he, um, he and I just got, got along really well. So we were like during our breaks, just talk about design talk about things that we liked. and. Um, so how does that go? Is he just come next to you and he's like, Hey, psst, come here. <laughs> I mean, are you allowed to start? Other? I mean, obviously you were and you were okay, but you know, and in some ways is it, and you again, yeah, a little no, 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 totally. It's it was, like it wasn't, it wasn't, no, it wasn't like we were plotting <laughs> yeah. our escape or anything. It was just, we we're having lunch <laughs> we're and talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was an intern there, uh, in a really small team it was sort of like a an amazing time it was mark obviously as the head but he was in paris a lot yeah because this is pre-lv and all that other stuff this right? was happening he was he was doing louis vuitton okay yeah so that's why he was in paris and then they had launched um mark by mark mm -hmm. i guess a few seasons before this was right in the middle when everything was getting big but the team was small yeah. so it was it was mark and then it was richard chai and then under richard chai it was my wife Anna, uh, on the women's side and on the men's side was a, a still really great friend of ours, Natalia Zimmer. And then there were um, three interns. And one of them uh, was Jack from Proenza Schooler. 
Jack McCulloch. And the other guy was Isa, uh, who used to have that store Isa in, in Brooklyn. Then he started Nom de Guerre. Oh, I don't damn. remember his last name. No, no, I know what you're talking <laughs> you about. You know him? Yeah, talking? Nom de Guerre was yeah. like, that was one of the first companies that I went and spent like $600. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was the design team. It was super small. Um, uh, and, you know, I just spent a lot of time talking to, to, to Alexander and I, I was waiting to, for something to open up. But when there's only three people above right. you besides... Yeah, it's tough to Mark get. Jacobs. Yeah, it's tough to get to the top unless you can knock off Mark. So, uh, yeah, I would have to knock off my wife or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't happening. Um, so Cloak starts, and I think one of the the cool things about Cloak is it's like the almost TV show style success story, and that you guys go from being this underground brand to having this unbelievably beautifully written profile about you in the New Yorker, which you can look up. I'll put a link to that in this. Um, and then you have like Tom York is wearing cloak and all the like cool people who aren't known for wearing cool, like, you know, like Tom York. Yeah. He's a trendsetter in music, but I mean, you have all the, like the best people that are into this brand and it is just the coolest thing ever. And still to this day, I mean, I know tons of people who try to collect, you know, like it's not really vintage, but you know, like <laughs> somewhat vintage cloak pieces from like Oh four and things like that. Oh three Oh four. Um, how, what was that like? I mean, because that, that's just like immediate huge success, at least on, yeah, the, on, the, the on, the, on the outside it was, for sure. Yeah. It was surprising, you know. Um, I was naive enough, and I think even Alexander would say the same. We were both naive enough to just go out there and start this company. You know, it was just the two of us with a little bit of money that we had saved. Uh, and... We went out and, I, you know, my opinion was always like, okay, if I'm a designer of my own brand. After a few years, maybe somebody will come and there'll be something in a magazine. I just thought everything would take a lot longer. Yeah. The reality is in New York, everyone is thirsty for new designers, for, for news, for things. So we came along and, I mean, there wasn't much menswear in New York at the time at all. No, it's you know? like almost zero. So, yeah, yeah we, started, we started this brand and we just kind of, we did our thing. It was a weird combination of Alexander and I uh, just doing what we, we thought was cool. Um, and people responded to it super, super quickly. And yeah. um, we were able to, within a short time, sort of get a lot of great stores uh, that bought into the collection. And, you know, I guess all these awards that come along that we were being nominated for and winning and yeah, you uh, won the Echo Damani Award? Echo Damani was the first thing. Yeah. And that was like, you know, everything was sort of really cool, but it was also really scary because they came along and I think they gave us $25,000 to do a show. Which, which can is, go, you know, you could spend over 100K in a show these days. Easily. Right? So, easily. But 25 grand is not a lot of money to have a show. But once you spend 25 grand and have a show, then people expect you to do that the next season. Yeah. But you don't have Echo Damani to give it to you anymore. So you have to make an extra 25 so they're like here we're gonna raise the bar really high for totally you. totally totally we're like awesome we're gonna have a show yeah high five we're gonna have a show it's cool it's gonna be our breakthrough and i mean the reality is i don't want to go into the, the deep finance but we sure. are always like okay next season if we sell three we we're gonna break even and then we sold five hundred thousand, but still ended up losing money and then we're like okay next season if we sell you know seven hundred fifty thousand, then we're gonna break and it's just we it was too big of a task for just two people, yeah. You know, uh, who were both both 
on the design end. Sure. Doing this thing. So it, it was tough. It was great because it led to everything that came for me afterwards. Right. It was a, a, a collection that I think we're both can say that we're really proud of. I mean, I um, think in general, in, in fashion, it was, at least for me and other people who I know who try to be fashion journalists or really are, it was a pivotal moment in the fact that this is downtown New York design. And it like came on the map. And, it, and the coolest part is everyone in Paris and everyone in Italy um, now we're starting to respect downtown fashion more than ever because yes, it's cloaked, but Mark Jacobs is there and there's something here now. And I think that that didn't exist beforehand. And I think a lot of people don't realize, um, that like cloak was such a huge part of that. And so for me to see that, I mean, it just validated and inspired me as, you know, like I had to have Dior jeans and like some type of cloak piece <laughs> on top. And that was just like my thing. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And if I can do this, I made it. Like I can fit in New York downtown. It's so cool. It's like, you know, it, it, those things happen. You know, yeah. those things aren't planned. Those things no. aren't, Alexander, I would never sit down and think that that, that was something that we would, would influence. It just happened. It was the timing. It was the, 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 the style, it was just sort of everything, everything came together and it surprises me still. There's so many people that come up to me and say, what you guys did with Cloak really got me into fashion. It was like cool and it was still manly, but it was, I don't know, it was something, it hit a nerve in yeah. a way that, um, you know, neither of us ever planned it to. I just think that it just kind of happened. And then, you know, and I'll, I just, to move things along a bit, then you were approached by a production company. Because, you know, you decided to leave Cloak. You were approached by a production company. And they're like, hey, we will basically finance and fund you and take care of this stuff, which is probably the most time-consuming and stressful and can leave you to do what you're best at, which is sketch and design and make stuff. Yeah. And then Robert Geller, the brand, is born 2007. Yeah, we, we, uh, I guess I incorporated in 2006 and we launched it for 2007. Yeah. yeah. So. That to me is where like things become perfected. And before, you know, we actually started recording, we were sitting and talking a bit. And one of the things I love the most about your brand is you, a lot of times you're kind of, uh, not rightly so, but you're thrown in to the like avant-garde fashion type stuff of like Rick Owens and Boris Bijan Salbury and Carol Christian Pohl and all that other stuff. And Robert Geller is in there too. But a lot of those brands, when you see them, for me, they're so polarizing. Uh, they're great, um, but they're so polarizing that it's really hard to approach and to understand. And I think if you're newer to the fashion world in general, you're, you're almost turned off. Um, and then, you know, this brand, Robert Geller, comes along. And to me, it was, the, it was such an easy and accessible way to get into that world. And I mean, I don't really think you were avant-garde fashion at all. It was so much more accessible and approachable. Like in a lot of ways it's timeless. Like you have, you have very simple stuff, but it was, again, for me, it was like silhouette, silhouette. And you know, that to me, um, you know, cause I think the funny thing, and, and I won't go too far off this is like all the stuff that you did, like that you were starting out doing no one, like, I think had the ability to appreciate yet. Because I remember you were one of the first brands to me that was doing bomber jackets. 
right? And this is before, you know, Joe Schmo starts a brand that just buys a bomber jacket from wherever and throws a patch on it and says, check out my brand. Yeah. Like, you were actually doing this. And I, maybe it was because a lot of people are trying to steal or take the same influences in terms of the, the 80s Berlin, you know, and the, the, the kind of like the fall of the wall and like, you know, this, this rebellious sense uh, and youthful spirit there. But, you know, I, I won't talk too much, but so what happens there? So now you basically come and you perfect and, and you make this so much easier and accessible for men. Like, what was that like? Well, the thing was like, just to sort of go back to, to uh, what happened with the, with the Japanese, I was approached by them and it seemed like the, the, the right solution to the problems that we're having with cloak, mm -hmm. you know, because we, uh, uh, we weren't good at the production aspect of it. We weren't good at the financing, financial, uh, financial aspect of it. Uh, and this was a way to, for this to be like a, a partnership that really makes sense. Alexander and I were both designing, you know, right? which is awesome because he's a great designer and we work well together. But it's not a good partnership because we don't bring the things that we need that we don't know how to do. Right. You complimented each other, but in ways you, you, yeah, maybe there wasn't someone who was the strongest where the other person was weak, right? You were yeah, it wasn't that. It was like, you know, if you, you have a partnership, you need, you want your partner to be somebody who does the things that you don't know how to do well. And you right. should be the guy that knows how to do the things that the other person doesn't know how to do well. That's like a partnership. Sure. Um, so that's what I found with the Japanese. They were, um, they're a great production company and they were, they were willing to take over the, the, the finances and I could focus on the things that, I know how to do well. Mm -hmm. So that's just sort of the, 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 the backdrop of that. But then in terms of the style, um, I never, you know, I never wanted to reinvent fashion. Um, I never wanted to, to create clothes that were too, too spectacular, too different. I wanted to make clothes that you can, you can understand as, as a, as a, as a guy, as a man. Um, you can understand what they are, but then it's about with color or print or fit or fabric and all of these, these details to make it special, you know, mm -hmm. to make it better than what is out there and what exists already and, and really being consistent. I always wanted one collection to be able to be mixed with the next and with the next and building a, a right. wardrobe over time. And which most designers, if you know, if you're listening to this, it's extremely, you can buy one season of Prada and another season of Prada and they look like they're made by two different companies. I yeah. mean, they both say Prada, but in terms of the ability to mix from season to season, it's, it can be extremely difficult. Yeah, totally. And that's something that, you know, I, if you look at Margiela or you look at Dries, that's something that they do really well. Yeah. You know, I feel like you can, you can always wear a Dries piece from one season with, with another or definitely with Margiela. Um, and it, on one hand, it's also, you know, sort of the way that I design, it's quite subtle. Um, it's something that you have to spend time to, to, to wear it and to look at it and see the details and stuff to see really how much thought has been put into it. Um, and that subtlety may be one of my faults as well, especially in this day and age where there's so much hype, you know, uh, like you said, the bomber or, you know, we started doing like dressy sort of sweatpants type of pants 
way way long ago you know like 2008 2009 yeah people actually probably might have criticized it at the time like why would they do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i never even wanted to call it that it was just it was a different style of pant um and and it all kind of blew up in the last couple of years with the the whole sort of uh street lux thing and then people tried to put me into that category for a while which i didn't i didn't feel like i really fit into you know i never really i never want to fit into any category you know it's not that i'm trying to stay out of it but i just don't feel like that that was that's what i do there's so many brands that are going into that direction and just doing the same kind of shit uh well in a lot of ways i guess to put someone into a category it's kind of restraining you in a way right or is that yeah no i just remember a lot of interviews suddenly were like oh yeah look the you know people are seeing you as uh as part of this the streetwear thing and, and, and how do you feel sort of being one of the leaders of this and doing this early and where are you going to take it now? It's like, I'm just going to do what I, what I, what I do. And I think most people will be pretty, it'll be pretty obvious to most people that it's not, it's not the same thing, you yeah. know? Um, and I don't even know what I would categorize, categorize my collection. I, I don't think it needs to have a category. I no. just tried to make clothes that, that the, myself and the guys that i know around me would really like Mm -hmm. you know um has an influence of of sort of my european upbringing that's in there for sure there's uh, a lot of new york influences there's um all the layering and there's sort of this protection that that i feel like you want when you're in new york there's influences of my travel to japan it's just me you know it's just sort of things that i like that Mm -hmm. get filtered through through my head and my sort of aesthetics and, and taste and I try to find things that I get excited about. Yeah. You know? And I think in, in some ways, you know, again, I talked about this a little bit earlier is like you're every like designer or people who's really into to fashion knows a ton about Robert Geller, the brand. And, you know, so much that, you know, and we don't have to talk too much about this at all, but like anyone who is trying to go into design, you you kind of have to like ask for the blessing, you know. You got to kiss the ring over here <laughs> to, to, to get to to understand it. Um, I mean, you know, and one of those people, right? I think you because uh, you had helped consult for Kanye West when he was doing his collection. Um, and you know, I don't you don't have to tell any Kanye stories. I, I honestly don't care that much. <laughs> but like, you know, what was that like in in terms of you're getting all this other recognition from like serious. Uh, you know, contemporaries and other designers. Well, that's like, I think it's probably the, the biggest compliment is when other designers uh, respect you for mm-hmm. what you do. Uh, and I have, I felt a lot of love from, from a lot of the other designers that I I know, and I, I think that is incredible. Uh, the thing with Kanye was, it was, it was a cold call too. <laughs> it was like, I was here in this living room and I get a phone call. Kanye he, West. He wore a lot of your clothes. I, I remember, you know, of, of all the message boards and stuff and the Kanye clothing message boards, people were like, what is this black t-shirt? What is this? What is this? And it's like, oh, that's Robert Keller. Yeah. He, he had a lot of pieces, uh, a couple of pieces that he wore a lot. Um, and so I knew that he, he knew of me. Um, <laughs> I was still surprised when he called me, of course. Yeah. Um, but I like, I like, I like him a lot. I, uh, we started to to just talk about 
talk about what he wanted to do with with uh, with Easy, and and he he showed me that he was really interested and quite knowledgeable about about um, about fashion and and the, the the process of making things and sort of references and all of that. So, um, you know, I I never want to talk too much about that because I feel like I don't want to um, break the trust that we have and. Um, all I can say is that I worked with him running up to the first season, all through the first season. Uh, and it was really nice to, I met a lot of amazing people, uh, through him, mm-hmm. with him. He's, a, he's, uh, he's actually a very sweet, sweet guy. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't regret any second that I worked with him. I really I really, I learned a lot from the the process of working working with him and and that team. It was kind of like you know, it's kind of like a dream team. He had tons of people working. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and there's a great energy there. You yeah, know? I mean, was, I think if fun. if you get a phone call from you know someone who's such a big artist in general, musician or not, like it's it's almost like a uh, any sort of just mistake to not take a chance to to work or collaborate with someone else. So it sounds it yeah. Sounds there's like a lot of people who were like, "Why would you take that job?" And we're like, because it was such an amazing experience to <laughs> to first of all get to know him and and talk with him. And, you know, he's so polarizing. And obviously, there's there's things that I see or read about where I'm like, "Oh my god, what's that's totally crazy." But I didn't. You know, that's not that's not that's not the Kanye that I know. That's not the one that that I, the guy that I was working with. So. Right on. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to discuss a little bit is um, there were a lot of designers maybe at the beginning of when things started to go digital. And when I talk about digital, I mean like, you know, online stores. I remember when I was trying to be some really cheesy blogger that when I told people that, they were immediately, I could see the eye roll coming in the milliseconds of like, as I said, I'm a blue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you'd see that, but you were one of the first guys to, uh, designers to really kind of embrace that community, um, you know, in terms of like style zeitgeist and the message board guys. And you even talked about how, you know, how the Robert Geller guy, when people asked you like, oh, who is your guy? You know, that, that kind of tacky question. Um, that you were like, yeah, this is someone who's really informed. They they know, you know, where my stuff is sold. They know a lot about it. They collect it, and and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that you were you were like the designer who listened to these guys and and validated them. Like, what? Ma- I mean, what made you want to break that kind of fourth wall there? <laughs> it's funny. Actually, that sounds like it's never liked me that much because uh, they're really into like the. They, the they liked you. Because I, I was in Zeitgeist, but you had some you had some dudes who were like, because you didn't make drip shoes, <laughs> yeah. right? That you couldn't really wear. I'll, although I love CCP. Yeah. They were just, I, I do too. They were just weird weirdos on there. Yeah, so. yeah. And I, you know, uh, I think that's a great community. I think it's, it's somewhat pretentious, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's a lot of great sort of fashion criticism I just always thought that it was um my collection was wasn't that kind of a collection, you know, it wasn't right. quite dark. But it's nice to hear that you said that there were some people that liked it. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, cuz I was one of those dorks that was on I mean, I was on Super Future and Style Forum and Zeitgeist and any yeah. way I could find to 
to learn. Yeah, Super Future was the big one in the beginning that kind of embraced the Robert Geller brand. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I still, to this day, I'm still like surprised at my success. So it was just so awesome to have a place where you could go <laughs> online and see what people would say about what you, what you've made good yeah. or bad, you know, like what a crazy, amazing, uh, way to get feedback. Nobody thought that I was reading their, their things, but they would say, <laughs> you know, this piece of shit shirt, the buttons are falling off. And I knew that I had to fix the problem with the buttons, you know, or yeah. whatever the size 52 doesn't fit me. You need to make bigger ones. And we had to try to go at that issue. It's amazing feedback. You know, it's, it's, it's honest. Um, and I think it's, so cool because it opened up the possibility for some dude in West Virginia or uh, the middle of Ohio to be a huge Robert Geller fan yeah. and just have like a big collection of, of, uh, of Robert Geller pieces and wear it out in their little town and be the weirdo that's dressed better than anybody else. And just gets <laughs> probably made fun of, but he's okay with it because he's got all of his homies on the online that, think he's super cool you yeah know? you guys may think this is weird at the waffle house but i just <laughs> dropped a really fire pick right now and all totally. my bros on reddit like that. <laughs> no it's true it's true i think it's cool i think it's amazing i think uh i mean my whole thing is like i never i never liked the luxury of fashion that was never what drew me to it i like design and i like the sort of youth sort of cool factor of it and and it's a bad word cool but i always use it um that's cool but you know what i mean it's like i was never drawn to to the luxury i was just i, I to make something unattainable you mean or the, i was just... never drawn to chanel i was drawn to raft and i was drawn to andy mullermeister and i was drawn to the sort of romanticism of it mainly when the when the Belgians came around, that's when I fell in love with fashion. Right. Love the Japanese as well. But it wasn't about diamonds and gold and suntans. It was about making really great clothes and yeah. an attitude. And, and so... Um, attitude, for sure. I think there's, there's definitely something to be said about uh, that you can just draw a line through things like Margiela and your brand and Raph that... To say something like some people, like you've mentioned Chanel, some people wear it because they they want to tell everyone what they own. Yeah, right. And yeah. fine, you know. I mean, there's a lot of brands. I'm someone who's done that. Like, you know, I wanted to wear Dior home jeans because I wanted to tell people that I was wearing Dior home jeans. Yeah. But with you know your brand with Robert Geller, Margiela, it's not a loud, you know, physical brand. There's not a, a logo or anything all over it. But it was people wanted to communicate that at least to me that like they knew and that yeah. they appreciated um yeah like good design yeah. you know i think the silhouette of of your collections have always been uh in a great way like like accessible and you could look at it as you know a guy on the internet and be like oh yeah i can totally do that like yeah. i could totally wear you know that piece or that that sort of shearling collar bomber and things like that um and you know with chanel uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to poo-poo any brands, but it's <laughs> yeah. just like you were saying something different. Totally. And it's a different it's a different customer, it's a different world. Yeah. And um I'm just saying that wasn't my world. That wasn't like that wasn't I wasn't attracted to that part of fashion. That's a huge part of fashion. It's probably like yeah. most of the money's at. 
selling sunglasses. But like, (laughs) (laughs) it's just not what I, what I wanted. I'd love, I love the idea of like some guy walking around downtown wearing something Robert Geller and there's another guy across the street and they recognize each other and they're like, oh yeah, you know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like that sort of underground. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. It's not, that's not the way to be a big brand, but I'd rather be a small brand that's still respected than, than be huge. You know? Well, I mean, clearly it's, it's working for you. I mean, you're coming up on 10 years now and we mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, you know, this is a little bit of a generic question, but it's very, something I did want to ask is like, you know, are, how much do you feel that you've changed in terms of, you know, over a decade of doing this process? Like, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I've changed. I've gotten better. I feel like, um, I feel like the collections have consistently gotten better with a few misses in between, but I feel like I'm really sort of hitting hitting my stride just as fashion is crumbling. <laughs> you know, I just feel like... You, what do you uh, mean by fashion crumbling? Do you mean the, the obscene accessibility of it all? Or the- no, I think that the retail is dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Brick and mortar. Yeah. yeah. Online is, is growing, but it's going much slower than the brick and mortar is crumbling yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah, it's true. It's very true, unfortunately. The Zara's and H&M's are getting better and better uh unfortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it's just a tough time in fashion there's a there's gonna have to be a huge change uh it's not what you asked me but this is another part of the conversation no, no, i think we is, should this is great. talk about because yeah. it's um uh it's a strange time in fashion everybody that i talk to is having a difficult time yeah. um we've always had kind of a difficult time we've always survived you know, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, you started when a recession hit and you yeah. survived that. Yeah. Um, we've always had, we've, we've done okay, but it's, uh, it's just like fashion shows these days, you know, fashion shows used to be something where you come out and, and it would be a, this, this big moment and everybody would anticipate it and it would just sort of, it would have a huge effect. And now, I don't even, I haven't checked what's going on in Milan. Most people, I don't know. It's just so much noise and uh, That's a really good point. so much going on that like, I don't get excited by it, any of that anymore. And I feel like other people aren't either. Everybody is a brand now and everybody's, uh, everybody is, uh, is, is constantly trying to push themselves. And there's just so much out there that I don't even really like looking anymore. And Maybe I'm just getting a little bit jaded or whatever. I hoped I never would. But I just feel like there needs to be there needs to be a change. It needs to be about one beautiful piece again or a collection of five pieces or whatever it is. I just feel like it's it's too much, it's too often. It's I mean it also it puts so much stress, I would say, on designers and and the design in general when it has to be done so quickly. You know, I mean, there's a, not to plug another podcast, but there was a, a, a really good podcast that was done by Malcolm Gladwell. And um, he talked a bit, uh, you know, was, each episode was a little bit different. Um, it's called Revisionist History, by the way, is the podcast. Oh, yeah. And he talked about 
um, the difference between these two artists, you had Cezanne and Picasso. And Picasso would make art, and he would make it, and it would be done. Yeah. It would just be done, right? Boom, done. And then you had Cezanne, who it would kind of never be done. It would take for a very, very long time to do it. In some ways, it would be a fault because he, had, he would go back and try to do paintings over and over and over again. Excuse me, that's Gauguin who would do this, not okay. Cezanne. Yeah. But, um, and, and I think in fashion, there's something a little bit true about that and that there's, um, you have this, like, this time constraint upon people and there's so much time, excuse me, there's so little time and it has to be consumed so quickly that you, you, you don't get to taste and enjoy or it, like you were saying, anticipate. Um, cause you're right. I mean, I flipped through the Prada stuff on, I think somebody's Instagram <laughs> on my way over here. Yeah. That's, that's how much that's in here. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. It looks like a little bit of seventies influences. With Alex Badia maybe. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this looks nice. And, but I think in terms of the growth and the sales of it, and this is from someone who is a rabid consumer of online, uh, like you know, I buy most of my clothes online. Yeah. I think if the pricing is controlled uh, in terms of, you know, some brands aren't allowed to go on sale. Some brands, you can only go on sale at this time and only this much. I think when that is, when that happens, it can reduce some of the, because if, if you shop online, more or less, I mean, it, speaking for myself, I shop by I want these new balances. Where can I get them the cheapest? Oh, Joe Schmo's place in West Virginia. Um, okay, I'll get them there. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Geller client, you know, there were there were there was a message board about your brand and it was here's where every shop has this piece. This shop goes on sale here. And so like people were just trying to like go in and and wait for something to go on sale to get it. Totally. And totally. I think that to me was like the beginning of where some of the problems were. Uh and this isn't your fault, but yeah. it's just the consumer wanted things more and faster. <laughs> totally. And this is the thing. Like, I went to the store with my wife the other day to get a hat for my daughter. Just sure. an example. That's what happened. And they didn't have the color that we like. We liked the hat, but they didn't have the exact size. So then we went online and we got it in the right size and the right color somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. messed up, well, but it's just like. Because some yeah. of these stores, unfortunately, become showrooms. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've worked at retail stores and, and like one of the terms that we use is like, oh, yeah, this guy just came in and he showroomed us. Mm. Because they would come in and they'd say, oh, do you have this shoe in this size? And they'd be like, you know, usually in Alden or whatever, my last is this. And like you, I could hear it. And yeah. I was like, this guy doesn't want to buy. <laughs> I was like, he wants to know his size yeah. so he can get it someplace cheaper. Yeah. And yeah. I think that therein lies some of the problems of that is that because every, you know, store is, is in a race to sell their inventory because they're scared, you know, they're all these stores at such razor thin margins and they're so concerned of being cash positive that they'll go on sale as soon as they're allowed. You know, a, a colleague of mine works for Tom Brown and one of the things that he does, I probably shouldn't say this on this, but whatever. Is, <laughs> sorry if you hear this, man. Is that he has to go to um, stores and say, you put our stuff on sale too early. Yeah. And if this continues, we're not going to sell to you. Yeah. Well, of course, everybody has to do that. Yeah. And it, it's like, you know, but this account is huge, mm. you know, and it's like, could they really do that? And I think, 
you know, I kind of took your thing and ran a little bit too far with it, but like that to me is is the the challenge of it because I don't think anyone has reduced buying clothing, right? I I, but where are they all going? That's what I don't understand <laughs> because like <laughs> yeah. you hear that even even the the, the you know H and M isn't doing super well. Uniqlo is not doing so, Zara is totally kicking us, but like Uniqlo is doing well. I heard they're not doing that well. Oh, well then, all right. Yeah, you, you would know more than me. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I don't. That's, it's just it's just what I heard. So I'm yeah. like, you know, if those guys aren't doing that well, and then uh, there there are lots of online stores that aren't doing that well. Yeah, that's brick true. and mortar is not doing that well. Like, where is everybody going? And I don't know. I'm not shopping as much as I used to, but maybe that's because now I have a family and I have to spend money on diapers and stuff. But yeah. I don't know. It's just a, it's Which a weird time. Online to, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> yeah. no, I it's a, it's just a different, a different time. I don't know what the answer is, but uh, I need to figure it out, you know. And I think it's uh, the big guys, the Chanel stuff. They'll always sell their stuff at, at, a, at a high point. But, where, you know, where I'm sitting, um, you know, I make everything in Japan. It's super nice quality. Unbelievable quality control it's, for the most part, by, yeah, by the way. It's expensive. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if people ex really appreciate that. There are people that do, obviously. but. Um, I think one of the things that I need to figure out is is the price point and see where where does that need to be? Does it need to be a little bit more mm -hmm. accessible and stuff? Those are just the things that are going on in my head, you know, now and and seeing where where's the future of of, of fashion and what are the next steps? Uh, well, because I, I, it's happening, you know. It's, we've done ten years now. We got to think of the next ten. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it's better that this is actually something you're thinking about versus us sitting here. And you being like, everything's great. You know I mean? <laughs> it's never everything's great in fashion. There's not one person. I have people that tell you that. And I've said that in my life. But it's, uh, it's not, you know, it's just not. It's just too, too small of a market, the menswear market. Um, and even if you, you know, if you grow, then you hire more people. Then you open stores. Then you have those problems. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's a fun, fun business. I love going to work in the morning. I really enjoy it. Uh, I love making clothes. I really I wouldn't want to do anything else, but it's a tough business. You know? Yeah. And I'm not an entrepreneur. Everybody's like, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm the anti-entrepreneur. I happen to have a business and I have to run it, but <laughs> I don't want to. Right. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's crazy. You know, I, um, I do, I do what I need to do to keep this business going. Um, but all the, the really successful designers, they have a partner that, has totally taken that over and i have a partner in, in japanese company but it's they're like a big company that where well, i'm one of the, sure. the people that they're not, i don't have a guy that's leading my that's business. looking at your yeah, it's your me. line items per yeah, se it's and, me yeah so or what's the next step where are we opening the store would so, you and this is I'm, i I don't want to put you on the spot but would you ever do an online store or a brick and mortar store um yes <laughs> i would if i found the right partner to do it with you know it's uh all right everyone you heard it <laughs> it's a different it's a different uh it's a different business yes you know? it is and i think you know and we've talked about this a little bit i won't drag it on too much longer but it's it is unfortunate that brick and mortar stores are are more or less dying but to me um and i think like to other buyers uh not like uh like a general consumer but like a buyer of a store so many people, I think, look to like maybe six or seven different stores and, and that shapes their buy. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, totally. Like they look totally. at, you know, I think uh, with Jill at Toto Kaeo, yeah. you know, like yeah. what what's she buying? What's, you know, I remember when uh, my friends and I were doing our business, Union Made was just, oh, yeah. was just getting big. And yeah. Todd at Union Made was doing really well. And when we sat down to do our buy, they were like, hey, just so you know, we probably shouldn't tell you this, but Union Made picked this, 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 and this. So you should go deep on this or that. And so I am thankful that those brands and places are still really kind of helping shape the rest of uh, these other stores. You know, I mean, my, my younger brother works at a store out of St. Louis called East and West. Uh-huh. And they are at a point where um, a lot of their more expensive brands, a lot of their premium brands are doing really well. Yeah. You know, and so they're actually starting to figure out like, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe we should be, you know, getting a little bit more luxury. And I think for them, like businesses, where do they sit? Do they sit kind of towards the lower end, or um, what's their what's their what's their I mean, premium? They, I, I would just say like they used to sell like naked and famous jeans, mm-hmm. and now they sell like engineered garments, okay. and Norse projects, gotcha. and things like that. So they sell you know some yeah. premium stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think like there's still at least in the Midwest and a lot of other places there are those people whom are looking for that. Mm. And so there's still hope. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. There's still a lot of <laughs> yeah. hope out there. That's good. <laughs> I like it. I think there are, there are always guys that, that are, that are well, you know, that are looking for something, something different and something nice. And I think that the whole reason why I got into this is something that I can't forget. You know, I, I really, I love, I love making clothes and I love, I love the whole process of, of, uh, creating a collection and, 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 and really trying to, to give something that doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just a weird time now. It's a time where, uh, the, 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 the loud yell is getting much more attention than the, the whisper or whatever. And I'm more of a, more of a whisperer. You know what I mean? No, I, I I actually, I I really do understand that. Um, I mean, I think it's it's good that you'll. It sounds like you're going to continue to stay your route. Definitely, so I don't know how to do anything else. I wouldn't ever want to, and I've been here for ten years, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty amazing in menswear. Like nobody else from the time that I started. That's There's just a couple designers I am, have met over the years that I don't know if they're still there. No, most I don't think from when I started. I don't think there's anyone. You know, left. so rest in peace, those guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. I'm sure they're out still doing other stuff. Yeah, but, of course, you, you of know, course, I, of course. So I don't know, but we got a couple minutes left. Um, I just want to thank you so much for for being so candid and, and sitting and talking with me. This has been a huge honor. No, I love this. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any other stuff you you want to mention or, or plug beforehand before we we wrap up? Um. No, I think it's just the the, the ten year anniversary is a big deal for me. It's uh, there's a lot of people that sort of have helped me along the way, and one of the one of the most beautiful parts of these past ten years has been uh, all of my my assistants and interns and things, people that I've I've worked with. Uh, I'm still in touch with most of them. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I have a small office, so whoever's working with me. Um, gets to know me really well and we hang out and we go for lunch and we, you know, go for karaoke after the shows and all of this stuff. So you're in your ivory tower, just 
No, know? I don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have like one room that we all work in. So it's, it's awesome. We always, from the very beginning, it's been like that. We sit at a table like this and we all sit around and, 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 and draw. And it's great. So one of the things that I think uh, is really important for me in this sort of 10-year anniversary is just to say thank you to all those people uh, who from 2006 and 2006 until now have given their time and energy and stuff to sort of to hang out with me and help me along the way. And, and, and that's really one of the most one of the things I'm proudest of is the sort of the collection of good humans that I've uh, that I've made or friendships over time that I've made through this. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's really that's really awesome. Yeah. I hope people will hear it and <laughs> remember all the good times. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're almost saying it like this is be this is going to be the last one. No, I didn't mean that at all. Oh, I just okay. meant that. I was like, no, oh. no, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. I'm just nostalgic because it's a ten year ten year anniversary, and it's. Uh, I mean, it's pretty amazing that it's a you know? it's a huge deal, and I yeah. think you know to to pause for one second. It was a, it's a ten year anniversary of your brand, yes, but it's also ten years of you staying in New York City when every well not every designer, but a lot of designers decided that New York wasn't good enough anymore, and yeah. they left for Paris. You know, and it, and for, and for some of those people, it took someone like Raf coming and showing in new york for them to be like oh yeah maybe we'll show in new york again you know like <laughs> you and i think that's, that's one of the best parts you know that i mentioned earlier that's still so you know your your authenticity that you are the downtown new york guy and the downtown downtown new york brand and you've stayed that way and mm. you've you know been able to do uh you know to, to do well continuing to do that and i think that's great um and i just i don't know many designers um that you know i've met or not met who can who can say that yeah that's true that's awesome i'll take that for sure yeah. i can somehow represent new york i'll always do that it's, a, it's the greatest city in the world somebody told me that once before i lived here and i was like ah have you been to paris You're have like, you been to you know, typical new yorker yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now i agree i mean it's not the most beautiful city in my mind but it has the best people it's yeah. really yeah that's the thing that i love about new york it's like if you're not doing something special, you're probably not going to be here. You know, you can't just sit around and do nothing. No. It's too expensive. So <laughs> you have yeah. to do something and you, eventually most people get pretty good at it. So yeah. uh, I've met so many amazing people here that do such amazing things, such talents. And, uh, and it's a small place and eventually you get to know so many people that do amazing things. It's, uh, it's true. It's incredible. I think what sets like New Yorkers apart from everyone else is like you'll have people who will come here and you know i had friends who would move here over the years and they're like yeah i'm a new yorker and you're like yeah, yeah not really <laughs> and the thing that would set them apart like from a real new yorker is a real new yorker something happens maybe it doesn't go their way and they don't leave yeah they don't go home they you know wherever that was they don't go back they don't you know they they keep going and totally. i think the the resilience is in, in the grit of uh New Yorkers in general, I think is what has really shaped the city. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I don't know, that to me is always like the most exciting is like when you hear someone's like, yeah, well then I lost my job or then this happened or, um, you're like, yeah, okay. You're a real New Yorker. Yeah. You're true. still here. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And it's also like everyone's from somewhere else and everyone's that was the new guy at some point. And so people say that New Yorkers are rude and they're, 
it's not true at all. People are busy, so you get to kind of not give a lot of attention to tourists or whatever. You get annoyed when they're walking like five of them really slowly along Broadway and you need to get by to get to your meeting. <laughs> but New Yorkers aren't rude. New York is amazing. You know, if you go to, to a bar in New York and you talk to anybody, everybody will talk back to you because almost everybody that's here at some point was the, the new guy or the new girl. Like, yeah. they know what it's like. It's, I think it's maybe the friendliest city in the whole world because people are just are amazing. Uh, that's my experience, at least. Um, there's a lot of people here that I, that I look up to and that I learn from and, and that I respect um, from all walks of life. You know? Right on. Well, this was great. Again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll get you on soon. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. All right, bye. You've been listening to Blamo. A huge thanks again to Robert for coming on. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out the new site at blamopod.com. And if you want to get in touch, send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks a lot. See you next week.